We did not ask for this season, but we are in this season. And we've got to make the best in this season that we possibly can. In the Lord of the Rings trilogy, you might know Frodo, one of the characters, one of the main characters in the storyline. But he is upset because evil has interrupted his generation. And he makes this statement. He says, I wish I need not happen in my time. I wish this need not happen in my time. Of which the wise, compassionate Gandalf says this to him. So do I. So do all who live in such times. But that is not for them to decide. This is the statement I want us to key in on the rest of the day. All we have to decide is what we do with the times that we have been given. What do we do with the times that we have been given? We, we didn't choose COVID-19. We didn't choose our schools to close early. We didn't choose for our 401ks to go into the pot. We didn't choose for our health care to be in question. We didn't choose it. But what will we do in the times that we are given? Maybe you have been affected by health personally. Maybe you have been affected socially by having to isolate. The Finfrocks, I go back to them. Do you realize that their grocery bill in the country that they live has increased 300% in the past two months? That is incredible. But not only that, their financial global partners have actually decreased. And they're in a situation where they're riding the fence of can they stay on the field? Well, again, Thank you, Grace Point, that we're committed to helping them to do whatever they need to do. We don't want to be caught in the vortex of fear and anxiety. We don't want to just live a reactionary life. I've lived the reactionary life. Maybe you have. I have, I have binge-watched on Netflix. Tiger King is my what I've binge-watched. I have stress-eaten. Listen, I've got the Rona 6 right here around my waistline because I can tell you I've gained six pounds because of stress eating. I have binged, uh, excuse me, I have, I have gone to the store and pulled things off the shelf and put them in my cart and hoarded them because I was fearful that they might be gone the next time I got to the store, only to get home to find out I bought things that I wouldn't buy on a normal day. So I have found myself reacting in an emotional way. Now, have you been one of those. One of those three ways, maybe all three of those. I want you to, in the comments section, just raise one, two, maybe three hands if that describes you. If you have been a binge watcher because of the, the, this season, if you have been a stress eater, raise a hand. If, if you have been one of those who hoarded from the Walmart shelves like it's the apocalypse, raise your hand. Raise three hands, raise two hands, raise one hand. I would have to raise all three hands because that has been me. I want to move past reactionary living. I want to move towards intentional living. We're talking about a life reimagined. That is an intentional way to live. We're talking about what will our new normal look like? What if we redesigned our normal so when normal comes back, we have redesigned it in the way that we want to live? That's where we're at. 
We don't want to have just a reactionary life. We want to have a reflective life. Let this season be one that we ask ourselves the question. All we have to decide is what will we do with the times that we have been given? That's really the question before all of us. As we reimagine our life, what will we do with the times that we have been given? So here's the two questions I want you to ask yourself. You'll appear on your screen right there in front of you. Is this current thing, current disruption happening to us or is it happening for us? If it's happening to us, we're a victim of it and we can't do anything but other than react. Or maybe, 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 maybe God has caused us to slow down. God has caused us to stay home. God has caused us to rearrange our schedules so that we would find times of reflection, so that we could have times to reconsider, reimagine, reformat, reprioritize, reflect on our lives, and maybe reimagine our life in a new normal. That's what I want to turn our attention to, Grace Point Church, is how can we reimagine? How can we problem solve? How can we innovate? I'm standing in one of the great places in Northwest Arkansas called RevUnit. And it's an organization, it's a company that literally was established as an innovative solutions company. This is a great place to be in. There are great people here that work here. We love this organization, this company. But I want us to just enter into this space together for the next few weeks and let us innovate. Let us problem solve. Let us figure out as individuals, what are we going to do in the reimagined life that we're going to live moving forward? Now, let's let James be our teacher. James is the half-brother of Jesus. We've been talking about James for the past couple of weeks. Now, when you come to James, chapter 1 is where we're at. You'd be taking your Bibles out or be taking your journal Bibles out and be looking at it. We've got to remember the context. James is talking to a church that's been dispersed. They're not at home anymore. There's been a riot in the land. Jerusalem has been, has been ravaged and persecuted Christians are scattering all over the place. And it says in Acts chapter 8, verse 1, it says a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem happened. And they were all scattered throughout. They were dispersed. And in James chapter 1, verse 1, James is writing to the dispersed church. We are a dispersed church, aren't we? We're not dispersed because of persecution. We're dispersed because of a virus. But what was James in that context, in that setting? James rises up in the midst of that crisis and he fills a void, a void that you and I might need to rise up in this season. And we need to possess what James possessed. When you read through James, you can't help but miss that James had two qualities that every leader in times of crisis need. Number one, they need a non-anxious presence. They don't need to be caught up in the anxiety, the fear-mongering. They need to have a non-anxious anxious presence. When you read James chapter 1, verse 1, verse 2, verse 3, verse 4, you can't help but hear the non-anxious presence in, in James. He literally says this, God wants you to be perfect, complete, lacking in nothing. He also says, I want you to count it all joy. He really is trying to squelch the anxiety that may be creeping up in them. I want you to be like James and have a non-anxious presence. I want to be a leader of our church that has a non-anxious presence in a time of crisis. But also the second quality that James possessed 
that every leader in times of crisis, wartime leadership, Winston Churchill possessed it. And that is a clarity of direction. He is very clear. 55 different times he gives us clear instructions of what we are to do next. He does the same thing here today. Whenever we look at this passage today, I want us to look at James chapter 1, verses 1 to verse 15, and see it as one unit of Scripture. But I want you to do something, if you have your Bibles, look there closely, look at verse 2, 3, and 4, and then look at verse 12 through verse 15. Those are one continuous thought with a parenthetical statement right in the middle. Now, we've dealt with the parenthetical statement in the past week, okay? We're not going to go there, but I want you to notice in the very first verses and in verse 12 to verse 15, he talks about trials, steadfastness. He talks about the work of God that God wants to do in us. He does the same thing in the last section. So read these as one continuous passage of Scripture, giving us instructions. Now, when he does, this week, what we see is an introduction to Two lives that we can live. Two lives in this disrupted world, in this dispersed church. They had two lives to live. One is a blessed life. Number two was a dead life, a cursed life. So what kind of life are we going to live? Okay, so if you talk about a blessed life, you can't miss it because he literally says it in the very first words, blessed are. Okay, and then he talks about a crown of life in the last part of that verse. But then he starts the next section, and he starts talking about temptations, and he talks about death and how it brings out death. And so let's read the passage together. I think you can't help but, help but see this. Verse 12 says this, Blessed is the man, that's the blessed life, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life. That's the blessed life. Now he goes into the cursed life or the dead life, if you will, which God has promised to those who love Him. Excuse me, verse 13. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor himself is he tempts. No one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Brings first that cursed death life. So you see two lives here. So we've got to answer Gandalf's question. What? All we have to decide is what we will do with the times that we are given. Two lives. Let's talk about each of them carefully and objectively, if you can, assess which life best describes your life. Life number one is the blessed life. It's literally the very first words in verse 12. It's the words that Jesus, again, the half-brother of James, said five, six, maybe seven times in Matthew chapter 5. It's really the life of a disciple, a follower of Christ, is to be a blessed life. That's how Jesus talked to his disciples. James is talking to the dispersed church, and he's trying to encourage them, this is the life that you want to live, is the blessed life. But what does that mean? Well, verse 12 says, Blessed, happy is the man who remains steadfast under 
trial, under the weight, under the load, under the pressure of trial. The blessed life is not a trial-free life. It is a life that is able to endure under pressures. So, again, if you think that the Christian life is a, is a stress-free, a, a problem-free, a anxiety-free life, it's not. In fact, it's the ability to rise up, stand up, remain tall, stand strong in the midst of the pressure. Because he talks about being steadfast. And again, you've got to go back to verses 3 and 4 of James where he talks about that faith produces steadfastness and let steadfastness have its full effect. So he comes back and he uses the same word, that ability to handle the weight under the trials. And that word trials, is we talked about that again a couple of weeks ago, it's the Greek word pyrosmos, which means, we got our English word pirate from, which means trials or temptations or struggles that we may be up underneath. And so he is talking about us ability to be able to undergo the weight of that. And then he says this, for when he has stood the test, because when you have stood under the test, he will receive the crown of life. Literally what this tells me is not only am I able in the blessed life, able to bear up under the load, but not only that, but Jesus, my Father, my God, my Savior, my friend, wants to celebrate my life. He's going to give me the crown of life. Now that's a big deal because the word crown there is the Greek word stephanos, which is what the crown of royalty would be given. It's not a laurel crown that an athlete would get that within a few few weeks would be dead and thrown away. It was a crown of royalty that God would literally celebrate my life, that it would be one to be marked by that, which God has promised to those who love him. Don't miss that. See, the key factor in this is the ability to bear up underneath the stress, the strain, the pressure. How does that happen? Outside of Christ, it cannot happen. But inside of Christ, it will happen. It's what Jesus gave as a kind of an acid test, if you will, of a follower of him. In Matthew 24, 13, he says, But the one who endures till the end will be saved. He was not saying, if you'll endure the end, that that will save you. It's an evidence of salvation. It's a mark of salvation. I am thankful to God for the people who never gave up on, uh, up on me. I'm thankful for God to those who for not days, not weeks, not months, but years and decades have shown me and been an example to me of faithfulness and endurance. I'm thankful for the people in our church that for years, Leslie Logan, for more than 10 years, has been teaching in our preschool department. If you have a child, some of those who graduated just last week that we marked their graduation probably had Leslie Logan as a teacher in the preschool. I'm thankful to God for the Rick and the Jane Strax, who probably 95% of those people who have joined Grace Point Church have gone through our Next Step New Members class, has probably been served a hot meal by the hands of Rick and Jane Strack and their group. 
It's just been a faithful, enduring ministry of service. See, there's something to say with those who can go the distance. Jeff Wicker, who served at the front door, opening the door for guest after guest, family after family, in our church and those outside of our church. Faithfulness, endurance is a mark of a follower of Christ. Peter talks about it when he's talking about trials that we go under. And sometimes it's the day-to-day life that we show endurance, but sometimes it's the trials. He says in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6, he says this, Even though you must endure many trials. You must endure many trials. Why? Because these trials will show that your faith is genuine. See, the real test is not whether or not I can stand before the church on a good day and tell everyone I'm a follower of Jesus. It's whether or not in the grit, in the grime, in the valley, in the shadow of death that I may be walking in, that I'm able to bear up under the pressure of life. See, the blessed life is not a stress-free life. It's a life that can bear up underneath the load who shows the evidence of God working in me, giving me strength and endurance for the task at hand. I've told you, I've, I've been under anxiety, I've stress-eaten, I've, I've binge-watched, I've done it all just to try to therapy myself through this time. But one of the things that absolutely I cannot walk away from any day of the week is my time with God. And I meet with God in the morning before I start my day, and I meet with God throughout the day, and at 1040 every day, my clock reminds me, my watch, my phone reminds me, it's time to step away, and it's time to pray for those in the 1040 window. It's also a time that I'll maybe open up a devotional and read a devotional. I'll take maybe three, four, five minutes. It's all I am doing. The other day, I was opening up my utmost for his highest, and I read these words, and it just says this, God is the master engineer. He allows the difficulties to come in order to see if you can vault over them properly. May God not find the wine. I like that. Put away the wine and cheese, please. May God not find the wine in us anymore. But may he find us full of spiritual pluck and athleticism, ready to face anything He brings. Bearing up underneath the load is the mark of a blessed life. What kind of load are you bearing today? How are you standing up underneath it? Are you able to stand tall? Do you have endurance? That is the good life. When I'm able to stand up. When the wind is at my back, that's one thing. But when the wind is in my face and all things are pushing against me, am I able to maintain the blessed life of walking with Christ? Let's talk about life number two. Nobody's going to choose this life by all means. But the reality is, is is the default life that we all live unless we choose to live the blessed life and live under the blessing and the presence of Jesus in our life. It is the cursed life. All we have to decide is what we will do with the times that we have been given. What are you going to do with the time that you have been given, with the life that you've been given? And by the way, this cursed life or this dead life, it sounds like an oxymoron, right? How can you be dead and have a life? But it's literally what the scripture describes our lives as being. 
What happens is we get lost in ourselves. It becomes about ourselves. And when the world is not going for us, we feel like the world is against us. We feel like everyone's against us. We feel like even God's against us. We feel like God has put us in circumstances that he's trying to destroy us. And you will find people that will literally blame God for it. Fill in the blank. We've got to realize in verse 13, it says, Let no one, when he is tempted... Say, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. So we got to understand the fact that it is not God who's out to get us. God is not our problem. We must understand that we are our own demise many times. But what we do is we begin to get in the life of playing the blame game. You know the blame game. Whenever our spouse doesn't love us like we like or doesn't listen to us like we like or doesn't love us with our love language, then we get mad at our spouse or our boss passes us over for the promotion or we walks us out the door and we feel blame on that boss because we're underappreciated. We feel like the relationship is not what it should be or we feel like our circumstances, if they were just better, if we just had better circumstances, then our life would be better. Or we, we blame COVID-19 on China as if it's their fault because this came into being. We want to get into the blame game for our life not being what it should be. It's exactly what Adam and Eve did. They've been, we've been doing the blame game for years. Whenever Adam and Eve, God call, finds them hiding from him in the cool of the evening. He says, have you eaten from the tree that I told you not to eat from? And the man said, or Adam said, yes, the woman that you gave me. He points his finger at the woman and says, the woman that you gave me, she gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate. See, God had given Adam a chance to confess his sins. God called him out on his sin. Instead of confessing his sin, he blamed his sin. Blamed it on his wife. What does the wife do? The wife turns around and blames it on the serpent. She says, the Lord God said to the woman, what is that you have done? And he, she said, the serpent deceived me, she replied. So Adam blamed the woman. The woman blamed the serpent, and the serpent didn't have a leg to stand on. So, I mean, literally, we have, we have blame game going on all the way through. He is actually, God is not our problem, but He is our solution. Because 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13 says it like this. Read it with me, okay? Read it, read, read, read it with me out loud there in your home. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. But God is faithful, and He will not let us be tempted beyond our ability, but will with the temptation also provide a way of escape that we may be able to endure. That very idea, concept of being steadfast, able to endure, able to handle the pressures of life and not be tempted by them, God enables us to endure. God's not our problem. God is our solution. Jesus is our solution to our own personal problem because the problem is not outside. The problem is inside. Because if you look at James, he even says that. But each person, when he is tempted, he is lured. That literally means being taken captive. It's a present passive participle in the Greek. It means literally taken captive, lured and enticed or baited away by his own desires. 
underscore, highlight, circle those, those words. Our greatest enemy may not be on the outside, but may be on the inside. And that inside problem is our desires. If we do not learn to control our desires, here's a life principle for you. Your desires will control you. If you do not learn to control your appetite, your appetite will control you. If you do not learn to control your attractions, how many times have I heard people say, but I'm attracted to this, I'm attracted to that. If you do not learn to control your attractions, your attractions will control you. Your desires will control you. When we are lured and we are enticed, baited away, can you not hear inside of that? Then desire, verse 15, then desire when it is conceived gives birth to sin. Desire gives birth to sin, and sin gives birth to death. I know it's an oxymoron, but that's the cursed life. Understand, if we do not understand, the blessed life is a life in Christ set free, able to endure. But the cursed life is one that's controlled by desires, locked into that, that gives birth to sin. What is sin? Sin is basically taking, meeting legitimate needs with an illegitimate means. It's taking the desires of our flesh. There may be God. God gave us those desires, gave us those appetites, and but we're meeting them in an unhealthy manner. That's when we begin to live a life of sin. And whenever you look at Genesis chapter 3, before Eve ever committed sin, what does she do? Her desires take over. She doesn't control her desires. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food, pleasing to the eyes, desirable, pleasing and desirable, what does she do? She takes and she eats. How is it that we are going to be able to handle the pressures of our own desires? God is not our problem. The problem is inside, and the inside of us is desire. And desire, when it is not controlled, when it is not starved, as Romans 13 says, make no provisions for the flesh to gratify its desires. The word provision literally means make a starvation. Starve that beast inside. Our desires are good, but when our desires are met by illegitimate means then we are controlled by our desires. You control your desires. I developed the message, and just this morning, I'd had six different pathways into sin. And be careful about any of these pathways. I'll have to come back some other day and preach that message because I want you to hear one thing. If we do not learn that the greatest enemy inside of us is our desires and control our desires, then our desires will control us. All we have to decide is what will we do with the times that we've been given. In this time of disruption and disorder, we tend to turn to our desires instead of bearing up underneath them with the power and the strength of God. we got two options in this world. We can choose life or we can choose death. We can choose a blessed life or we can choose a cursed life. And it's the same invitation I'm giving to you today that James gave to the dispersed church that Moses gave to the people of Israel when he said in Deuteronomy 30, verse 19 and following, 
I have called heaven and earth as a witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life. My call to you today is if you are wrapped up, locked into your desires, chasing after the whims and the ways of your own heart, stop the gravy train. Stop the madness. Stop the, the chasing after. You will never, ever have enough. Find joy and happiness. Find the fulfillment of life in a life in Christ. If you've never given your life to following Christ today, I challenge you. If you're still out searching and longing and can't find satisfaction and contentment, can't find the strength to bear up underneath the load, and you keep self-medicating with addictions, if that is you, then please trust Jesus. Tell us that. Simply text Trust Jesus to 97000. We want to pray with you. But maybe some of you, many of you are followers of Christ that are watching this right now, but you've started chasing your desires. James is calling the dispersed church not back to meeting right now. He's calling them back to the blessed life of walking in Christ so that you can bear up underneath the weight and the trials of our day. So I want to pray for us today. I want to pray that God will call you and you will say yes to walking in the power and the presence of Jesus. If you don't know what that means or what that takes, please text Trust Jesus to 97000 and one of our pastors will reach out to you in the next 24 hours. Let's pray. Father God, I pray in this moment that you would make clear what you're calling each of us to. You're calling us to choose life. You're calling us to live a blessed life, one that enables us to bear up underneath the weight of the world, not get sucked into the pressures and the desires of this world, but one that is set free to live a blessed life. So Lord, set us free from the blame game. Set us free from desires that control and consume and dictate our life. And set us free to live a life in you, with you, a life that you will celebrate by giving us the crown of life. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.